welcome to Dads with Daughters. In this show, we spotlight dads, resources, and more to help you be the best dad you can be. Welcome back to the Dads with Daughters podcast, where we bring you guests to help you be active participants in your daughter's lives, raising them to be strong, independent women. Every week, I bring you dads from across the country, across the world, that are doing amazing things to be engaged with their their children, their daughters, to help their daughters, to raise their daughters. And this week's no different. I am really excited to be able to bring Paul Sullivan on. I had read an article that Paul had written when he was leaving a job, and we're going to talk about that. And it really struck a nerve with me. And we're going to talk about that as well. And it led him on a new path. And just like being a father has led all of you on your own paths. So it's really important for all of us to learn from each other. And Paul is going to definitely be able to share some of the things that he's learned, not only as a father, but as a, but as really going down a different path. So I'm really excited to have him here. Paul, thanks so much for being here today. Hey, Chris, thanks for asking me on. I really appreciate it. It is my pleasure. As I said, I'm, I'm really excited to be able to talk to you today. And I always start our interviews by turning the clock back in time. So I want to turn the clock way back. So I know you have three daughters. I want to turn the clock back to that first moment, that first moment that you found out that you were going to be a father to a daughter. What was going through your head? It was pure shock. I remember it so well. The obstetrician for all three of our daughters also happened to be father of my college roommate. So I'd known him since I was 18 years old. We happened to move to the town where he was working in the hospital and we go in. And at the time, you know, before you have kids, you have so much spare time. And I love the New York Yankees and living in New York City for a long time. You'd hop on the subway, you go to the Yankees game, you'd have a bunch of hot dogs, have a bunch of beers, you wouldn't have to worry, you'd hop on the subway, you go home. And I was really into the Yankees then. And when the doctor told us, Dr. Weinstein, when he said, did the ultrasound, he said, it's a girl. I was in shock. I was like, how can it possibly be a girl? And then, of course, I thought back to uh, high school biology because I somehow, as a history major, was able to skip any rigorous uh, science courses in college. And I thought, of course, you idiot. It's genetics. It's the first one. There's a 50-50 chance. And then my second thought was, oh, my God, I've got to have a room that's pink. I've got a room in my house that's completely pink. And, and I articulated all of this to my wife, who, who thought I was somewhat intelligent and she wouldn't have married me. And she just stared at me and she said, you know, we could make the room purple. I was like, oh, purple, purple, that's better than pink. That's much better than pink. And then, and then he found me something like a Yankees bear that had the Yankees pinstripes that were kind of a light pink and white as opposed to the traditional navy. And then with that, we were off to the races, and that was 13 and a half years ago. Now, every father that I talk to seems that they have their own story, but they also have some fear. You have some fear about going into being a father, but being a father to a daughter. And I guess as you think back to the three daughters that you have in your life, what was your biggest fear in raising daughters today? God, I don't want to be like uh, blindly ignorant of walking through life. I don't think I was afraid of anything. I think I was just tired. I just was really, really tired. No, I just wanted to be present. I wanted to make sure I was there as much as I could be, but I didn't really know what I didn't know. And our first daughter was fairly easy. And I remember coming home from the hospital and somebody told me this afterwards, you know, kids, you forget this when you, your kids are older, but they're really kind of dopey the first couple of weeks. You know, you come out of the womb, you know, everything was great, warm, wonderful. And then you're out in the world and like, holy shit, it's hot. And Jesus, it's cold out here. What are we doing? Um, and <laughs> they just want to sleep. I'm like, I remember turning to my wife saying, I don't know what people talk about. Like, 
this is pretty easy. This is really easy. And then we kind of cruise along. And three years later, we have our second daughter. And boy, was I cocky. God, I was so cocky. I went into that. And I was like, God, this, I got this, you know, another daughter. By that point, I didn't want a son because I got two daughters. I, I'm an expert. I already had one daughter. So, you know, I, I know what's going on here. And uh, she didn't sleep. Like, didn't sleep at all. And we would, as a couple, you, you try to do what you're the expert at. And I was the expert at not sleeping. So I would walk her around and then sit in this chair, which I came to hate, just glider and rock her back and forth. And eventually I would fall asleep. I don't know when she fell asleep, but I would fall asleep. And like two in the morning, my neck would be killing me. And I'd get up and I'd put her in bed. Now we had a pause because my wife started her own company, probably the slot that would have been uh, the third child. And so there's a five-year gap between my middle child and my youngest child. And when she came around, I was like, I don't know, this is going to be, a, we, we got to call in, you got to call in backup here. We had to get like a SWAT team or something like that. You know, Navy SEAL is really popular then. Let's get some Navy SEAL. Somebody's got to help us here. Because this kid, if she's anything like the second one, you know, I'm older now. And that's Astrid, our youngest. And she slept like a dream. Like, this is impossible because I know it's not, kids need to eat. But I want to say she was sleeping like through the night on like day four. Obviously, that's an exaggeration, but she is, was the easiest kid went to sleep. But with all of them, you know, I know you say you have two daughters, three daughters, all the same gender, obviously, same parents, same house, same upbringing, everything the same, and they couldn't be any more different. And so that's another part where I was super cocky. I was like, oh, yeah, you got three kids, right? They're all you know, girls, you're an expert. And of course, you have one, two, and three completely different personalities. The only thing I will say that's good, and I think it'd be the same if you had three boys, the only thing that is good about having three girls is when you go to Disney, you don't have to try to divide your time. You don't have to say like, am I gonna go to the cars and the princesses? You just do the princesses. So it's a lot more efficient that way. I definitely can relate. I'm definitely a Disney dad as well. And my daughters have, we've gone there a, n a number of times and we're actually going there again this year. I think this will probably be the last time we go with my oldest at home. And, uh, but it's always those memories, those memories that you get to share. And both my daughters are very different than one another, just like your daughters are. And that, that was that kind of a, an interesting wake up for me because, you know, being, I was an only child. So being an only child, I didn't have any clue that that would be the case. You'd think that they would be similar. No. And they're very different. So I talked about memories, but I guess as you think about the differences in, the, in your three daughters and the things that they like to do, the things that you like to do, what are your favorite things that you like to share with each of your daughters? Well, I'll answer that, but I am also an only child. And that may have set up how I came into this because I really just wanted, I wanted to make sure I had more than one child because I remember like at a certain point in your life, your parents go crazy. And if you're the only child, you're the only one dealing with crazy parents. So I didn't want to do that to my kids. I figured, okay, if you have like co-conspirator, you can kind of align against mom and dad when we lose our minds. So, but my favorite memories, you know, I, I think probably because I'm an only child, I never understood the, like the need to have everyone pile in a car and scream at each other. So I thought, geez, that's just not a great use of my time. And I can't hear anybody. And it, you know, makes me want to have a beer at like noon and it's Tuesday and that's not productive for work. And so like when they were really young, I found things that I could do just with them. And it's not that I won't let the others come along. I'm not saying you, 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 know, you can't do this. Um, but I just wanted to have a thing that I did with them. So, for example, my oldest daughter, you know, we're, we're talking, you and I are talking uh, shortly before uh, President's Day weekend. So she and I are going to go skiing on Monday. She doesn't have school on Monday. And we all we, we ski together. And the other girls can come. They come sometimes. They don't love it. But that's what she and I do. My middle daughter loves racket sports, tennis, where I live in uh, Connecticut. We have this ridiculous sport called paddle. 
that you go out in the freezing cold and bounce a ball around a cage. It makes no sense whatsoever. But she happens to like it, and it's not terribly difficult to learn. So I do that with her. And then the youngest one, I am a very avid golfer. And at one point, my wife took the two older ones away for a couple of days. And I had the youngest one when she was maybe 15 months old. And I said, oh, geez, you know, I wonder if I can take her to the golf course. You know, she's 15. What, what's going to happen? And I probably won't be there long. Well, she took to it like a, like, like a you know, fish to water, like a duck to a windshield of a car, whatever that adage is. And ever since then, like, I've never said, come on, let's go. It's always been, I'm going to go play golf. Do you want to come with me? And she, she loves it. And so I've just been fortunate that I've been able to carve out three different activities with the three different girls. And that's what they kind of associate with me, with us doing together. I love that. I found very similar things with my own daughters in regards to the things that we like to do together. My, my oldest daughter likes to cycle. I ended up getting out there with her and I, I never minded biking, but then I ended up buying a, an actual road bike so I could actually keep up with her. And so, you know, in the summers, we definitely get outside. Not right now. It's a little too cold to get outside right now and, you know, a little treacherous with ice on the road. But I love the story of you and your daughter in the golf course because it reminds me, my oldest daughter about a year ago, actually two years ago now, came to us and said, I'm going to join the golf team in the high school. Now ask me this, had she ever played golf before? <laughs> I don't think I have to ask you. I think you're going to say the answer is no. The answer is no. <laughs> now she's very athletically inclined, but I'm like, really? Where's this coming from? And, but she went out there. She loved it. She came back a second year in her junior year of high school, and she wants to do it in her senior year. But it, there's something about it that just, again, it just clicked. And so, you know, that kind of puts a smile on my face. But my youngest daughter, you know, we love to geocache together. So getting outside, having some fun, doing some treasure hunts, and, and it's just finding those unique things. And I agree with you that if you can connect your passion and, and show them what your passions are, but then allowing for them to be able to find a passion for it on their own. Not that you're pushing them to do it, but that they enjoy doing it and they enjoy spending time with you. Take that for all it's worth. And I'll say that to any dad, because as they get older, they start finding their own things and the time is not always there for you. So it's important to take the time as you have it. Well, I'll say this, it's, you know, when it's something that's not like serious, like, you know, you, you should have a healthy meal, you should get a certain amount of hours of sleep, you should do your homework. When it's something that doesn't matter, I always try to say yes. And so, for example, I hate running. I'm not a very good runner. And in Connecticut, it is going to be, I don't know, 25 degrees tomorrow. But for whatever reason, my oldest daughter is doing some challenge with her sixth grade friends in which they run one mile for seven days straight. And tomorrow she has an activity after school. So by the time she gets home, it's gonna be dark. So she said, Daddy, will you come and run with me at 7.15 in the morning? Now I cannot think, if it wasn't for her, I cannot think of anything I'd want to do less in life than to get up and run outside. So at least if I was running inside, like on a treadmill, I could, I don't know, watch ESPN or something like that. No, I'm gonna run outside at 7.15. So I, I didn't even think, I was like, okay, yeah. She said, you'll be up, like, yeah, I'll get up at seven, I'll put my shoes on, and we'll, you know, it's only a mile, I make it, but it's like, you know, why not? Because she asked me, and it's not a heavy lift, and, you know, we'll have fun. You know, my oldest daughter called me because she, she was out, and she said, when I get home, I want to run lines with you, because she's in a musical right now. And I said, okay. And just like you said, especially as they get older, when they ask, you got to take advantage of it, because... They're not always going to ask. And if you say no too many times, 
they're going to stop asking. Exactly. And that's it. You've lost your window. Now, Paul, I said at the very beginning that one of the things that I was really drawn to, and I saw the article that you wrote for the New York Times when you were leaving the New York Times, the article itself really drew me. And I know not everyone has read this, but it was really poignant in the reasoning that you were leaving. So I guess I want to go back in time a little bit and go back to that moment and what was going through your head, because you had been in media for quite some time. 25 years. Yeah, 25 years. As you say. And making the choice to sever that at that point, you had a reason for it. Now, for those that haven't read it, tell me the story and why you chose to leave the way you did. But then I, I want to talk further about kind of what you've built from there. and we'll, we'll get into that. Sure. As a kid, I grew up in Western Massachusetts. So outside of Springfield, which if you like basketball, that's where basketball was invented. That's where the Basketball Hall of Fame is. And as a kid, the only thing I wanted to do was write for the New York Times. I mean, I don't even know. I mean, probably three people in my small little town read the New York Times. So it wasn't that no an editor or a writer, but that's what I wanted to do. And I didn't really think it would happen. And when I was 35, I became a columnist for the New York Times, I became a weekly business columnist. And I honestly couldn't believe it. And shortly after that, I sold my first book in the newsroom. I knew not to sell it. I was on the phone standing in the newsroom. And I got news that I sold my first book called Clutch. And a couple months after that, my first daughter was born. So for my entire kids' lives, I was a New York Times columnist. I wrote books. I edited some of the special sections. I, um, the books led to giving keynote talks. It was amazing. And as I said before, you know, after our second daughter was born, my wife started her own business. My wife has always worked in finance. She worked with a big firm, little firm. And what sometimes happens with little firms is they don't go well. And, and so she said, screw it. I'm going to start my own business. And I was totally behind her because I believed in her. I, I knew she had the wherewithal to do it, and I couldn't see any downside. Like, why why not fulfill your dream? But what that meant was I'd always been a super involved parent, but here at my oldest daughter was three and a half, four at the time, I guess, I became what I called the lead dad. So the primary parent, because that was the only way my wife could start her own business, because she had to be on call at all hours. And I could do this because I had this super rigid schedule. At the time, I had a weekly deadline. I knew a special section would be due months in advance. Books take two years to write. And if you're going to give a talk at a conference, you know, as I say, no, nobody calls you up on a Monday and says, you know, can you get to Vegas on Wednesday and give a, a keynote talk? And just everything is my whole life was planned. And I didn't have any complaints. Like I loved it. I loved everything about it. And then along came COVID-19. Kids were home. And it was the busiest time for me as a journalist. And, and here are my kids trying to to learn the older ones did okay but you know the four-year-old was two then you know you can't really do zoom pre-k and so it was a bit of a monkey show at the same time my wife had to work even more because she works in finance and, and everything was kind of going haywire and that's when i sort of stood back and said you know this has been an amazing run but i have an idea for something else and i am by my nature risk adverse and i knew that like i love the times i'd written books you know when you have a job like that it becomes some part of your identity and to be honest, you have to admit, like, you know, I can't imagine the number of times I, I yeah, pull this over and what matters going to the New York Times. I said it so many times that it, I could hear it in my sleep. But during the pandemic, I say it's sort of the upside of a tough time. I started thinking, boy, I have this idea for, for something else. And at first I thought it might be a book. And then I started talking to people and I said, it's not really a book. It's, uh, it's, it's, it's a platform. It's a company. And, and what this was was essentially given that time working entirely from home, not interviewing people in person, not having lunches with people, not having breakfasts with people, not 
uh, going into the city, not going into the New York Times building, I realized that a lot of the fun parts of being a journalist were gone. And I didn't really have a community. And I looked around the town where I live in Connecticut, which is a perfectly nice, you know, New England town. And I said, geez, look at this. You know, if you're the, the go-to-work dad, if you're the guy who gets on the train and commutes into the city, you, you've got your community. If you're a stay-at-home mom, you have uh, different types of, of community. You've got your kid's school, you've got your house of worship, maybe you have a sport that you play. If you're a working mom, there are working mom groups. But at least if you're like my wife, you're working all the time, you don't always have time for the groups, but they ex at least exist. But if you're, you know, what I call a lead dad, you crave that community, you crave that fraternity, you crave that bond with, with like-minded people. And I didn't see it existing, at least existing in a form that I, I knew. And, and that's, you know, after talking, honestly, to some, I didn't talk to any guys about this. I talked to senior female executives. I figured if you were a senior female executive, you had to have a husband who was supportive, you know, not a husband who was letting you do that, the so-called second shift when you come home. And I really kind of tested out the idea with them. So, you know, last August, after, you know, thinking about this idea for, for quite some time, I said, you know what, it's, it's time to give it a try. I want to do this. I think there needs to be a a community for, for lead dad. So I went to the business editor at, at the Times, the deputy business editor. I explained to him I wanted to do something different. Couldn't have been nicer about it. I said, look, I'm not going to the Wall Street Journal. I, I, you know, I've had an amazing run here. You know, uh, In the end, I wrote 608 columns. I uh, contributed 760 stories total to the Times. It was a great run. I, I loved it. But I said, you know, I want to do something else. And once I sort of, you know, hinted at what I was going to do, they were incredibly generous. The Times was incredibly generous to me. And they said, would you like to write a Times Insider? And, and that's the piece, Chris, you were, were referencing. And it's, you know, this is deep into the journalism nerd well right here. But, you know, it runs on page two of the first section of the Times. And I was super honored. I was really flattered and touched that they gave me that piece of prime real estate. And I thought what they're going to say is, you know, looking at 700 words, typical column for me was about 1,400, so half the length of the column. And I thought they would say, just kind of, you know, what was it like for 13 years? You know, how did the sausage get made? And that would have been wonderful. I'd be happy to do that. But they were even better than that. They said, write about what it was like, but then tell the readers what you're going to do next. Now, just imagine this for a second, you know, Chris and, and your listeners. Have you ever left a job and your your employer said, on your way out the door, can you tell all of your contacts and everybody, just tell them what you're going to go do next. And if you could just tell them a way to contact you so they can find, that would be great. And so that was sort of the equivalent of what they did. And so, you know, half the column was, you know, this is what it was like being the Wealth Matters columnist for the New York Times. And the second half was, you know, this is why I'm leaving. And there's a line in there where I say, well, everybody's known me as a New York Times columnist for the past 13 years. I've had a secret second job that I loved, but I was always afraid to talk about. And that is I was the lead dad or I've been the lead dad to my three daughters, three dogs, three cats, three fish, and don't call me Mr. Mom or I'll poke you in the eye. I didn't, didn't have the poke you in the eye part. If I did, they edited it out. And then I tell this cute story about how I was talking to this high-ranking former White House cabinet official. And I, I can't lie. You know, you know Times columnist, you, you, you can't lie. And I was sitting there in my car out in front of uh, the ballet studio, and uh, I was doing an interview. And, you know, this is back 2015. I yeah, doesn't know where I am. i got a laptop on my – she assumes I'm sitting in the New York Times office, but I'm, you know, just sitting there. And my dad had taken our older dog to the pediatrician, and we had this rule. We said, Dad, you, you, can, you can take him. We appreciate you taking the girls, but don't talk to the doctors. Don't, don't talk to them. Don't – because my dad would talk, and they would talk back to him expecting him to listen but he doesn't listen so we said just call us just call us when and this is classically dad moment my wife was on a, a call for work i was too but i see 
uh, pediatricians, you know, pop up on my phone. And I said, shit, what am I going to do? And here I am talking to this high-ranking former government official at the time was running, was dean of a, a big business school. And I said, well, I can't, I, I can't tell her what I have to do. I can't just excuse myself. This woman's a big deal. I can't, so I, I, what do I do? So I just talk and midway through, I said, you know, that's a really excellent point. You, And I hang up. Like, hang up. Like, remember those old movie phone? When you call movie phone, it would just start in the middle. Like, Edgins of the Fall, 1042. And I hang up, and I take the call, the, the pediatrician. And this woman is now calling me back because she thinks, you know, what's happened? I'm a high-ranking government official. I'm the dean of a business school. Who? No, no, what idiot hangs up on me. And so then I compose myself, and I call her back. But, again, I, I can't lie. I'm not going to lie to her. So I call her up, and I say, you know, I'm really sorry that happened. The town where I live has horrible cell phone service. Where were we? Now, both of those statements were true. I was sorry I had to hang up on her, and the town where I live does have horrible cell phone service. I happened to just be sitting in my car, and we picked up the conversation, and that's how the story ends with me apologizing to this woman. But fortunately, and, and probably we wouldn't be talking otherwise, it got a good response. It, it hit a nerve with the two audiences that I thought it hit a nerve with, which was men who identify as, as lead dads, you know, whether they work full-time, part-time, or you're totally devoted to their, their kids, and working moms. So those are the two demographics that it really hit home with. And from that, you ended up starting the company of dads. And so I guess I want to have you talk a little bit about that. So you had this idea in your head, you knew the audience that you were talking to, or you wanted to talk to, and now you've created something since August called the company of dads. Tell me about the company, but also what are you trying to do with this? What are you trying to do with the fathers that you're connecting with? And what are you trying to build? And it's most basic, I'm trying to create a community, but that's at its core, a community for all men who are lead dads. And to get there, it's sort of a three-pronged model of content community at the center. And hey, you know, we're guys, there's a commerce angle. If you want to buy a fun company of dads hat, a fun company of dads shirt, I'm happy to sell it to you. But the content is, you know, podcasts, uh, videos, a lot of written content. My expertise is obviously finance. And so I've broken it down into four areas that I'm really going to focus on. And that's family, friendship, finance, and fun. And, you know, you're right. I left in October. I didn't start anything before then because it's just, you know, I wanted to, I had a pristine reputation, so I didn't want to seem like I was double dipping. And then it's been a race. We launched it the first week in February with a lot of content. And what I want to use that content for is to first drive the community online. We have a Discord channel. We have a Facebook group. But ultimately, I hope to build enough critical mass where we can have in-person events. You know, we have one planned for June, Central Connecticut, because that's just works where I happen to live. And then ultimately, I love to have community based around people's, you know, hobbies. You said you're a cyclist, you know, have a, a lead dad cycling meetup somewhere. You know, I love to golf, have a lead dad golf tournament somewhere. But really, to get dads together and normalize what we're doing, make it so that it's not something that has to be hush-hush, that we're the men who are doing the responsibilities traditionally left to, to moms or, or caregivers, and to make it something where at the end of a round of golf or at the end of a ride, you can sit down with other you know lead dads golfers or lead dad cyclists, and instead of talking nonsense about whatever you're talking nonsense about, you can talk nonsense about how hard it is to get a four-year-old into the right ballet class to fit around her schedule. And all those dads will know exactly what you're talking about. Completely can understand. Now, as you said, there's a lot of content on the site itself. You know, you're, you're bringing people together and you've started a podcast itself. What, what have you learned most in this, I'm going to say this, this whirlwind of a ride that you've been on so far? 
in regards to building community for men? I've learned well, several things, but one thing that comes to mind is how needed it is because I've had men, lead dads, reaching out to me from all over the country, Canada, Great Britain, Japan, and they've been contacting me and they've wanted to talk. And so I've talked. I mean, this has been the basis of rolling out the podcast like you, you know, once a week. And this has been the basis of it. It's a mix of sort of experts who are sort of academics and, and lead dads to help build the community. The second part that surprised me on a more local level is that, you know, dads that I've known for six, seven years who I've seen around town, our kids have played sports together, our kids have gone to school together, I've uh, played golf with them or something like that. I've had a whole group of them come up to me and say, almost to a T, the same thing. They've said, you know, I read about, well, always in hushed tones, I read about what you're doing. Oh, yeah, yeah. It sounds interesting. Okay. I'd like to be part of it, but can you promise that you won't use my name? And at first I thought they were joking. I was like, why the hell do you want, don't want to use your name? What are you like? We're not like taking like, you know, I don't know, cute puppies and stuffing them in a bag like Cruella DeVille and chucking them into the river. I mean, just getting together to community for lead dads who are trying to, you know, normalize the role. And of course, as I would say that lead dads who are trying to normalize the role that we're doing, that's when it would click. And it was, you know, I, I don't know. I've always been comfortable. I guess I've always been comfortable in my skin, one. But two, I've also had, look, if I'm to be honest, why not be honest? I've had the cover of being a New York Times columnist. So if somebody was, like, giving me shit about being Mr. Mom, I could say, you know, fuck you. I'm a New York Times columnist. And, and that would go over. <laughs> that went over fine. But seeing both this need from around, let's just call it North America, and then this kind of hushed need in the community where I live, I was like, okay, this is important. This is necessary. And then, of course, the third part is, as I sort of suspected would happen, a lot of working moms have reached out and signed their husbands up, and they've kind of pushed them into it. And that's been great because, you know, they say, look, my husband feels so alone. He's done this. You know, he loves taking the boys, the girls, whatever around. But, you know, a lot of his other guys, guy friends, don't understand why he's not playing golf at 7 a.m. on Sunday or why he's not, you know, cycling in the middle of the day on a Saturday and not being the guy. So really those things, like, you know, sort of proof of concept as people have reached out, people that I don't even know have reached out and said, I want to be part of it. So as you look to the future, what is next? What's next for the company of dads? Where is it going from here? Jesus, Chris, we're only in week three. Cut me some slack here. Take a look at the site. There's a lot of stuff there. I mean, there's only so many videos. One Now, what I would like is to grow it so it's not just my voice. I mean, I, my voice is I, I'm the one doing the interviews. I'm the one writing the stuff. I'm the one making the silly videos. I'm the one hosting the podcast, but what I really want is to create it so that it's not just one lead dad in Connecticut setting the agenda. I want to have lead dads all over the country who want to contribute, who want to be part of it, and who have different stories th than I have, who have different you know, viewpoints, whose spouses do different things, who have a different combination of kids, who've had different struggles, have had different successes. And that's how I'll judge whether or not a success by the end of the year. If I have a lot of other voices besides just Paul Sullivan in there, then I'll be thrilled. Now, we always finish our interviews with what I like to call our Fatherhood Five, where I ask you five more questions, the Del deeper into you as a dad. Are you ready? Oh boy. All right. I'm ready. In one word, what is fatherhood? Fun. When was a time that you finally felt like you succeeded at being a father to a daughter? I'd say, I don't know. It's ongoing. Oh, you know what? I'll say this. One picture day, my wife wasn't there and I did a shitty job of doing my daughter's hair and she said, okay. And she didn't say, dad, you know, I did my best. I just, because what I talk about is like, do the best you can. I did my best, but if your readers, your listeners could see me, I'm bald. Like, what? The, I don't know anything about doing hair. And I did it, and I did my best. I tried so damn hard. And instead of saying, Dad, this looks awful, she said, thank you, Dad. And she went off to school. And I love those. Those are my favorite school photos. Now, if your daughters were in the room right now, 
and I asked them, how would they describe you as a dad? My oldest daughter would say, dad is very kind and very sweet. My middle daughter, who is a ham, would try to take the microphone away from me and say, daddy is so funny. And my littlest daughter, who gets really shy, would just hug me and say, oh, dad. Now, who inspires you to be a better dad? My wife, because I want to set a good example for my daughters, and I want my daughters to know that what we are doing may seem different in the town where we live in New Canaan, that we have a different, you know, dynamic. But, you know, I'm not the breadwinner. I wasn't, you know, my wife made more money when I was at the time, so she's always earned more. And I'm okay with that. So I want my daughters to see that that's okay. And and their husband may be the higher earner. They may be the higher earner. But that's okay. We live in 2022 and, and life is changing. And I want them to see that they can marry somebody who will be supportive of their career, just as my wife has always been completely supportive of, of what I wanted to do. But she's definitely my inspiration. Now, you've shared your story. You've shared some some definite pieces of advice. But as you leave today and you think about dads out there, what's the one piece of advice you want to give all dads? Sleep is overrated. Just Just give it up. If you just if you complain like I need sleep, it's just completely overrated. And also, it took me a long time to get to this. Like our kids would come into our room, and I was like, God, I don't want to leave my bed. That's awful. I want to have to sleep in another bed again. And what I did a couple years ago, I said, Screw it. I had really crappy mattresses for my daughters, and I said, Well, I'm going to end up sleeping in their bed anyway. So I bought really nice mattresses. Not, I mean, not like you know, thousand dollar mattresses, but a hell of a lot better than they were before. And so now we, uh, particularly with the youngest one who's still at that age where she lets us snuggle her, often on the weekends we'll have, she and I'll have super snug. And so I'll go in there. And it took me a while to learn that because I was like, okay, I, just, I must sleep in my bed. This is the comfortable bed. So sleep is overrated. Buy nice mattresses for your kids. And as long, particularly if you have daughters, as long as they'll let you snuggle and cuddle them, well, uh, take advantage of it because I see the 12-year-old and, and those days are, are behind us. Well, Paul, I just want to say thank you. Thank you for sharing your story, for sharing your vision for the Company of Dads. If people want to find out more about the Company of Dads, where should they go? They should go to thecompanyofdads.com, thecompanyofdads.com, or, of course, all the social media handles on, on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn. Well, Paul, I just want to say thanks, and I wish you all the best. Chris, I really appreciate you asking me on tonight. I've, I've enjoyed our conversation. The Fatherhood Insider is the essential resource for any dad that wants to be the best dad that he can be. We know that no child comes with an instruction manual and most dads are figuring it out as they go along. And the Fatherhood Insider is full of resources and information that will up your game on fatherhood. Through our extensive course library, interactive forum, step-by-step roadmaps, and more, you will engage and learn with experts, but more importantly, dads like you. So check it out at fatheringtogether.org. If you are a father of a daughter and have not yet joined the Dads with Daughters Facebook community, there's a link in the notes today. Dads with Daughters is a program of Fathering Together. Find out more at fatheringtogether.org. We look forward to having you back for another great guest next week, all geared to helping you raise strong, empowered daughters and be the best dad that you can be. We're all in the same boat. And it's full of tiny screaming passengers We spend the time We give the lessons We make the meals We buy them presents Bring your A-game 
Cause those kids are growing fast The time goes by just like a dynamite blast Calling astronauts and firemen Carpenters and muscle men Get out and be the world to them Be the best dad you can be Be the best dad you can be